When I hear that song, I still get excited. Like the young, you know, 13, whatever it was, 13, 14 year old kid uh, gets pumped when that song is played. That was one of my favorite, favorite cartoons as a kid for a couple of reasons. One, uh, you know, the turtles were cool, right? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was huge, huge. The cartoon was massive. The movie franchise was massive. The, like I remember going to see those movies. I went with a, I think I went on like a like an early date with a young girl to go see those movies. And by young girl, I mean a girl my age. Jesus, Michael. <laughs> but yeah, I remember I remember going to see those films. And then uh, uh, why did I like them? Well, like I said, the turtles were cool, but also the animation was badass. At least for that title sequence, you know, like with any. 80s TV animation. The animation kind of falls apart over the seasons, but man, it was great. It was like this accelerated, exaggerated sort of Japanese animation meets American animation that I fucking loved. Um, and I was in. I was in. I would watch that every week, try to stay up and, or not even stay up, try to get up early and watch that on a Saturday morning. Um, and then as I got older, we all know I love comic books. We all know that I have a love affair for those things. And the comic book store was a very sacred place. It was like going to this weird, it was almost like a religious experience. Like if if church, if, if there was a, a church where I could go and research all the different stories, I can go through the books of heroes from our past, of legends from the past, it was the comic book store for me. Um, and going there and digging through old bins and, and going back through old uh, back issues, I started to find, started to realize that there was a lot of books uh, on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think that they originated in comics, if I'm 100%. I'm not 100% sure about that, but I think so. I think they originated in comic books. And as I did the research, I was reading about Kevin Eastman and the originators of those books, and I picked some of them up. And I remember getting my hands on these black and white issues that were really dark, like really dark. And being a kid that grew up with Michelangelo running around screaming cowabunga and, you know, throwing pizza at bad guys before he hits them in the face with nunchucks, like starting to read these dark issues. I was like, what the fuck is this? And, you know, like Raphael losing an eye and all sorts of really intense stuff. And I, I liked them. I really enjoyed them. It was like the the turtles for me as an older teen that I, I really dug and I was in them for a while. And then they kind of fell off the map for me. Uh, yes, I know that uh, there's a lot of you guys listening. A lot of you girls listening are younger than me. 
Uh, so you guys are like, yeah, there was a there was a couple animated movies, and then there was the whole <laughs> the whole Michael Bay produced live action films, which are just crazy and weird. Um, but for me, it was always back to first and foremost that old TV show because that's when I first saw it as a kid, and then it was these comic books, these dark comic books. So. Uh, give me like about a year ago, maybe a year ago, a year and change ago, I was back at the comic book store going through the shelves of the new releases and there was this really cool book. There's a cool book called The Last Ronin, which you got me at Last Ronin, right? Being the Kurosawa fan that I am, the samurai fan that I am, I'm like, okay, this is cool. And uh, it was a turtle. So it was a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And the books, I picked it up. The book is phenomenal. If you haven't read it yet, I don't want to give away any spoilers on it. Order it online. Go to your local comic book store. See if you can pick up a collected edition. I know that they have um, uh, single editions, I think, still on the shelf. Um, But check them out. It is the coolest story from that universe. It is incredibly dark. It is incredibly emotional. It's about loss. It's about dealing with loss. Um, It's really great. And it has a lot of good fan service in it. But I think it's a really, it's the equivalent of what the Dark Knight did for and what Frank Miller did for Batman. So uh, these are really great. I know Eastman is doing them again. And the art in them really got me. And that's the thing. I'm completely picky about my comic book art. And it's really important to me to find a great comic book artist, to follow a comic book artist. That's always been my thing. And I know how difficult it is to be a comic book artist, having known quite a few now and become friends with them. And I understand how hard it is to make a living at it and how hard it is to uh, be an artist that does a very detailed style uh, because it's all about how fast you can turn pages over and you get paid per page. Um, but I really, 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 really love the art in this. And I thought the story was really cool and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about this series. And, you know, as I was going through looking for a guest for today's episode, I was just deep in, uh, my Instagram hole and I was looking through comic book art and I came across, uh, today's guest. Uh, and I was like, fuck yeah, I got to reach out to him. Cause I love his work on these books. I love his work in general. And so on today's episode, I'm happy to say that we have uh, Ben Bishop. Now, Ben is the artist for The Last Ronin. He's done other amazing books. Uh, Aggregate was an award-winning comic book. Nine Days Alone in the Wilderness is a fantastic comic book. Head on over right now as you're listening to this to bishart.net. That's B-I-S-H-A-R-T.net. And go through and check out his stuff. If you're super fucking lazy, just head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com and click on today's episode because I'll post a lot of his work up there as well. Very excited to have him on the show today. It's been a while since I've had a comic book artist on the show. I get nerdy about this stuff. I can't wait to talk to him about uh, his process. Can't wait to get into this book. Can't wait to get into his world um, because I think comic book, you know you know my, my backstory. I wanted to be a comic book artist initially and even these days. All week I've been uh, doing storyboard work for one of my films and it's 
it's so much fun to actually sit down in front of the Cintiq and start to sketch things out and start to draw out worlds. I love it. I really do. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be able to have at least a little piece of that in my career. Um, but I am semi-jealous of these dudes that have the skill to sit down and just run out sketches and be able to reach such a rabid audience, such a rabid fan base, and be uh, essentially creating characters and creating vibes and styles that influence movies, influence pop culture right now. Because as we know, comic books is the, the lifeblood of everything popular right now. All of it. It's seeped its way into hip hop. It seeped its way into movies. It seeped its way into everything. So I'm excited to talk to one of the guys that is, I, in my opinion, has worked on a book that really sort of defines this time period and reinvents and redefines um, what we think of from these nostalgic characters and how we process these nostalgic characters. And it is a long, it is a huge difference from what you listen to for that intro for the original theme song for the animated show. It's a big difference. Um, so very excited to have him on the show. But before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for following me on Instagram at Mike Petchy or following the podcast on Instagram at In Love With The Process Pod. That's In Love With The Process P-O-D on Instagram. Uh, there I've been posting contests. I've been posting images of what's going on in my life. Uh, I love torturing you guys with my food porn images. <laughs> it's my favorite thing is when people get pissed because they're not eating with me. I love that. Um, and you guys have been giving suggestions for guests on the show. I hear you. I'm booking them. I've got some really great guests on the way. Um, and the numbers of the show have been consistently great. I'm very happy um, that you guys love the show and that we're having great feedback together. Here's what I'm going to do. I would love to hear more from you. And what I'd love to hear is like questions. Like I, I get a lot of messages on Instagram on like, should I go to film school? Should I do this? And what do I do for that? And what do I do for this? Send me an email. Send me emails to uh, in love with the process at gmail.com. Let me just verify that I'm getting that email correct. Uh, yes, I am. So it's in love with the process at gmail.com. Send me an email, title it question for the show um, and uh, send me a question. If I get enough of them uh, at the end of future episodes, I'll just do an answer the question sort of segment. I'll pick like one or two and sort of go through it and process it. I think it's a lot better to get answers from me uh, and hear my voice with it because uh, I, I don't want to mislead you. I, I, I hate emails and I hate fucking texts because you can never tell the inflection of, of how someone's saying something. So I think this would be great. Um, anyway, I don't want to hold out too long on this. I want to get right into it. All right. So we're going to sit down. We're going to talk to Ben Bishop. Um, I love comic book artists. Like I said, um, I don't know if I ever told this story on the show. Did I ever tell this story? One of my favorite comic book artist experiences. Um, at one point in time, I was doing, uh, conventions when I, back in the day when I used to do my grindhouse trashy grindhouse DVD movie stuff. Um, and I was selling them at conventions when we could sell DVDs. Um, and I had a bunch of different artists do various covers and alternate covers for these DVDs. So it made sense to go to comic cons. 
And so I'd rent a table and we'd go and we'd do this sort of stuff. And uh, I was at, I think I was at the Boston one. And that night I went to the bar. And there's something really fun about going to a hotel bar. And I forget what hotel it was in. I think it was in Cambridge. No, it was downtown somewhere. And uh, I go into this bar. It's got this weird vibe, kind of dark vibe. And I sit in there by myself. There's something really nice about being able to sit down on your own at a bar, order a drink, be polite, nice to the bartender, and then just sort of look around at folks. And every once in a while, someone will come up next to you because they're looking for a drink. You say hello. They say hello. You have some small talk. It's really nice. And I remember I'm sitting in this space and this guy walks in. And this guy just, he's rough and gruff. He's got like deep lines on his face. And he's got a couple of girls with him. He's got a couple of fans with him. And he comes in and he sits at the end of the bar. And this guy has total old school rock and roll vibe, right? So he could just be like, he could be Tom Waits. You know what I mean? Comes in, sits at the end of the bar. And he's nice. And he's, he's a little rowdy, but he's nice. And uh, he's ordering drinks. The ladies he's with are really loud. And I'm just looking across at this guy. I'm looking at his face and I recognize him. I've never seen him before in my life, but I recognize him because I've seen his, his face on his characters in his books. And I'm looking across the way and it dawns on me and I go, holy shit, that's Simon Beasley. Isn't that fucking wild? The fact that you can recognize these artists because they exist in their work. Which makes a lot of sense, right? When you're teaching yourself to draw, you're looking in the mirror, you're sort of processing all that stuff. I'm going to ask Ben today about that. But uh, yeah, I got to hang out. I got to spend the night. Simon came over. He talked to me. Uh, we all got drinks together. Talked about movies. Talked about comics. At some point, the girls got bored. And they left. <laughs> and me and Simon just sat there and shot the shit. Really cool fucking, had too many drinks together. Really fucking cool guy. I remember the next day, um, I'm walking back to my booth and he's at a booth with Kevin Eastman who created Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And uh, they're both sitting there and I walk over to the booth to say hi to him and he gives me this look like we had both been to war together. You want to talk about Ronins? <laughs> we both were like, hey, he's like, what's up, brother? And I was like, yep. <laughs> Ah, wild fucking night. Really fun night. Um, so anyway, I figured I'd share that story. Let's get into today's episode. We'll have some new stories. We'll get into some new shit. So you know the deal. Grab those noise-canceling headphones, right? If you've got your comic books, if you're a comic book collector, if you're a fan of The Last Ronin, maybe you have a couple of issues on your lap. Might be nice to refer to them, right? Crank up today's episode. Enjoy this track. This music will get you pumped for the show. Sit back, relax, and go deep into the world of Ben Bishop on the brand new episode of In Love With The Process.
Ben, thanks for being on the show. Finally, dude. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Finally, we did it. We found, we found a moment. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, super excited to have you on. I am a big fan of your work. I've been a fan of your work for a while, and I know that the listeners of the show are excited to hear you. So thanks for, for doing it, dude. Oh, absolutely. Uh, where'd you find me on Instagram or something? Yeah, I think I was just floating. Well, I mean, I had seen, I'm a comic book nerd. So I had seen your work with Last Ronin. I've seen that stuff, but I was just floating through Instagram. You know, it's late night. You're just in a deep hole and then you're just. <laughs> oh, I, I do it. Yeah. I look for artists that way. Yeah. Honestly, like I'll just like, give me something good algorithm. Come on, let's go. <laughs> inspiration. And I was like, oh shit, I know this guy. So yeah, that's why I reached out. That's why I reached out. Um, where are you at right now? Are you East Coast? Yeah, I live in uh, Portland, Maine, um, and I've got a big studio in uh, Westbrook, Maine, which is like, I'm right on the border, essentially, so it's six minutes there and back. And so I actually ran home to do this just because I thought it'd be quieter. Uh, one of the best parts about the studio is I'm like right on this river. So it's like this raging rapids all day long. It's this nice <laughs> background noise and all that. But I've found any podcasts or videos and things like that. They're always like, what the hell is that? Can you turn that off? And I'm not like that. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I love that, man. I, I grew up and I lived in Boston for years. I only recently moved out here to Los Angeles and my old studio was right on, um, the Charles and it was right next to a train track. <laughs> and so, oh. the, you know, in those old mills, I think at one point that my old studio was like a butcher or like a slaughterhouse where they slaughtered a bunch of cows on that train track. And those That's old, a, they come with so much I'm history. Slaughtering, but you know <laughs> the history yeah yeah mine was um the whole building is like from the 1800s i believe and uh it, it was a working textile mill right on the water for a while and then they started parting out the little uh spots and mine for a long time i'm told was uh they were doing fencing in there so i have like really really nice huh. floors because they were just in their socks so <laughs> it's pretty cool that's awesome man well uh, yeah, I kind of miss the East Coast right now, and I'm sure it's I'm sure it's fucking freezing up up in Maine right now, right? We got our first snow today, like, um, so yeah, it's really cold. <laughs> I'm in my Nike Janowskis with holes in them, and they're just soaking wet. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not ready for the bean boots. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate to say, like, I, I hate to be that asshole that's on the West Coast going, man, I really miss. The East Coast stuff, but that's who I am right now. I'm like, fuck, I want yeah. I want some snow. I really want some well, snow. Well, I was there. I was in San Diego for that weird San Diego Comic Con light um, that we just had over Thanksgiving. And so that was the first time I was on the West Coast for a holiday like that, that I'm used to being like very cold. And, yeah. Um, so that was interesting. <laughs> I was the same way. I was like, I can't wait to get back. I can't wait to get back. <laughs> yeah. yeah it took. About it took me a while to uh, get used to having holidays here on the West Coast. It's it's a, definitely a different vibe as far as like Christmas concern and everything else. And uh, yeah, I've I think so. yeah, I've gotten used to it, but uh, I do miss the step outside for the snow. I do miss the you know crowding around the fire because everybody's fucking freezing. I do miss that kind of shit. You know, it's, maybe you can relate as like a Boston guy, but I there's something about. The changing of the seasons that gives you something to like complain about too you're like oh it's 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 too cold and then finally like when you've had it with the cold it tends to turn it turns and then it's the same thing when it's too hot this is fucking miserable and then it tends to turn and it i don't know i like that about it, it keeps it fresh when it turns it's exciting and then there's like that weird part in the middle where the snow is like wet and gray and sucks but <laughs> other than that 
I like the change, you know? Oh, dude. Yes. Complain about. I, I love that idea completely. And it makes all the sense in the world. I miss being able to go into like a really dark, strange bar, sit next to a scary dude, and then be able to turn to him and go, ah, fucking weather sucks, doesn't it? He goes, yeah, it does. And it's like, okay, cool. There's <laughs> different weather for like different drinking. And like, there's nothing better than like being freezing and like getting some whiskey and, you know, having a fire or something. It's like yeah. that. I can imagine in LA is like a totally different vibe. You know, you probably have cold nights actually, but. Well, yeah, I mean, we've been having, you know, the high fifties out here and, you know, everybody's running around with fucking like, you know, multiple layers and the, <laughs> you know, purse dogs are freezing to death outside and they're freaking out. I'm like, come on guys, it's only 58. Well, not bred for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. Oh man, you're making me miss it. Um, mm. So uh, let's get into uh, let's get into a bit of history with you. Let's catch up some of the listeners who aren't familiar with the work. Um, how'd you get into comic books? Where did it start for you? Um, well, as a kid and just like any kid who's drawing, I wanted to draw all day long. And then that just kept that lasted. And I was like four years old or something. I can remember, you know, drawing cowboys and dragons and uh, lots of things like that. And my favorite superheroes or whatever. And then when I was 11, I wrote to Marvel asking for a job um, and they told me, uh, they actually wrote me back, which was great. It was like, hi, I'm 11 years old. I believe I'm very good at drawing. This is why I'm sending you these pictures that I have drawn. And then uh, they wrote me back and they said, unfortunately, you're too young for a job, uh, let alone a job here at Marvel. Um, but we appreciate the enthusiasm. I have it all memorized because I like I do school presentations a lot and I always show these letters and kids are like, what? Because <laughs> I'm like, you're 11. Are you done being a kid? And they're like, hell no. I'm like, I don't want a job. Like, <laughs> So uh, they just said, hey, well, you know, basically grow up, uh, you know, get older and get better. So they said, keep sharpening your skills in like a very Marvel Comics way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was totally like, inspirational i'm sure like and i just kept kept trucking i made another comic like right after that called splash uh in 97 when i was 11 and it's like a it's like a rip off of fantastic four i literally have a stretchy guy an invisible lady <laughs> a strong guy and fire guy and <laughs> and uh sidebar on that i've now brought one of those guys into the savage dragon universe uh and we can talk about that later but That's so it's cool. real bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, it was just like, okay, I know what I want to do, which is comics. Like, how do I do it? And like, and I would think I would find those like bullet points, like how do I get to a place to do it? And behind all of that, like career wise and, oh, this is the ladder or you should talk to this person or I only need this number on my SATs to get into art school, like knowing the bare minimum, essentially, I don't need gym. I don't need math. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically just like behind all that like behind the career part of it it was also like i have to draw all the time if i'm bad at hands i have to draw hands for a week and there's no doubt uh, by the seventh day i'll be better at hands you know what i mean yeah. like so pinpointing all those weaknesses getting feedback um and then i realized when i graduated high school i couldn't just call marvel up and say hey i'm that 11 year old kid remember me so <laughs> um i i wound up doing what most people do um which is like going to school for it um, it, outside of, you know, going to school and getting a degree. And then, you know, from what I was told anyway, it was basically, you know, go to comic conventions with your huge portfolio after you've traveled to New York and paid for a hotel and stood in line with 3000 <laughs> other people who want the same job. Also, Eric Larson can say, ah, oh, you're bad at drawing hands. Come back next year. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so I was like, oh, I'll go to school for it. And so that was 2004 and I moved from New Hampshire to Maine. 
to go to Maine College of Art right here in Portland. And uh, I loved it. I had great teachers. It was the first time I ever got like straight A's is because it was like, it was no math and no gym. Uh, so it was like <laughs> right up my alley. And um, but then the second year of school, they called me down to the office and they said, hey, uh, you can't go to school here anymore. And I was like, what? Why? What did I do? And what they happened? said, no, you didn't, you didn't do anything. It's just college is really expensive and your loans didn't go through. And uh, oh. neither of my parents were able to co-sign and um, so I just was like literally walking around Portland that afternoon because I, I left class, made class and couldn't go back. They said they would char charge me by the hour. Oh, my like, God. Okay. Yeah, it was stupid. And so I was walking around just Monument Square here in Portland and like, you know, down in the dumps. Why am I even in like this particular city? Of course, I loved it, but I was probably feeling pretty grumpy. Mm -hmm. And I ended up running into one of my teachers um, and she I told her what had happened, you know, and she just said, she said, well, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know. And she's like, what do you mean? You've always wanted to make comics. If you want to make comics, just make comics. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. And that, so I was like, <laughs> I was just like, if you want to make comics, just make comics. And, and it was just all, so I spent the next four years instead of going to school, um, surviving off toast and coffee. And I did my first book, Nathan, the caveman. And, uh, and the hope there is a 300 page book. And the book is literally about why people make art. Why did the, cavemen paint on walls uh, uh, what was the point you know and uh and it's the same answer that it was then that it is now and it's simply because like people have that drive where they just have to do it and if they're not doing what they're made to be doing they're like unfulfilled and grumpy and yeah and i have those days and everyone does and whether it's drawing or writing or music or video games or poetry whatever like or gym or math whatever like i'm uh i think everybody has that and for me that's all it was and and comics, I was lucky, is one of those things that you can kind of do by yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so that's where I started self-publishing, and then things just snowballed from there. It definitely was like a long time. Like even just Turtles, as I'm talking to you today, I started chasing my first Turtle cover, like asking to get a cover over eight years ago. <laughs> and I like hustling to get on the insides, and now I'm finally on the inside. So like everything takes forever, and it's just you know, sticking to it and getting better at the same time, I think. You bring up a good point. Like uh, when you don't do your thing, you do your, your mood <clears throat> does change. Like your life does change. Like uh, I do movie stuff. So I direct and, and it takes fucking forever for a, yeah. a movie to happen. And so when it's like years out, I start getting real grumpy. <laughs> I start getting, you can hear it on this show. You can hear my attitude change where I'm just like, I haven't fucking directed anything in over like six months, you know, and I get really irritated, yeah. you know. Um, but uh, I fell into spots like that and I look out for them where like when I first started getting some notice amongst like turtle fans and stuff like that, I was able to pay like all my bills just on commissions, like from Instagram and stuff. And I was like, man, this is awesome. That is. I'm drawing turtles. I'm like drawing someone's wife as Wonder Woman or whatever. But then it gets to a point where you're like, this, I'm also a writer. I'm also a storyteller. I also want to make comics that will last like years beyond my, me. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and commissions don't really scratch that itch. And so I just like cold turkey, like stopped them and got to work on a creator own book. And I, so things like that, where you're just like, man, you're, you're, you're creative, but you're not in the exact lane you want to be in. Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. Yeah, and oftentimes you have to do what it is that you need to do in order to make rent, in order to survive, and mm -hmm. then you find that you're pretty good at. Like, I don't know how many dudes I know that 
are in that situation where it's like, I came here, I came to LA to be an actor. And next thing you know, I'm doing art and art was always a hobby of mine, but now it's the forefront because that's where I'm making my money. And I'm, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm fucking happy doing that. And it's just like, yep, yep. It happens to all of us, man. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's fine to pivot and it's fine to go, oh, actually like, like I found, and I kind of knew I would like this, but I like like the marketing aspect of the kind of stuff I do or like making new products and like mm -hmm. having a hype built around it and then selling out and thinking of a new cool thing, like a beer koozie or an air freshener <laughs> or just something weird and fun. And like, and I like that, but it definitely takes away from drawing comics. Right. And so <laughs> it's like, I have to stop myself and you know, go get back to the book, get back to the book. Yeah. <laughs> But it's cool, man. It's cool that you have all these different avenues that you can uh, go into because oftentimes if you are just doing books and you're running that grind for as long as you need to be doing that, that can get old too. So it must be nice mm -hmm. to be able to take a break. And uh, Yeah, I think it's all about the back and forth. Like it's the same as the season. This is like you do it long enough until you're like, fuck, I just wish I was drawing for, you know, <laughs> people, people's wives as Wonder Woman or something. And then you go back and forth and back and forth. And so I think the trick is to not get like stuck in one or the other, I guess. Yeah. But, well, when you were growing up, what books were you reading? Like what artists did you love? Who were you following? Yeah. Uh, growing up, the comic artists I loved, loved was all the image stuff, of course, yeah. uh, but the big, the big one there would be Jim Lee for me and Sam Keith. I love the max. Yeah. Um, even though like, there's not a lick of Sam Keith in my style, whereas everybody else I've ever loved, I feel like I sponged up a little bit, but with him, I'm just like, that's your own. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I loved Joe mad, Joe Matarera. Oh, I uh, love his stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Joe mad, like kind of changed everything that was another thing where once i started looking at him i started soaking up like way too much japanese animation influence and stuff like that and so mm -hmm. i kind of turned that off for a little bit i was able to tell like when i was you know changing or picking up different styles and going like i'm really impressionable right now and i don't want to lean in that direction so i'll like turn that down a little bit um mm -hmm. and i do it now when there's like a certain vibe or something i'm going for i think everybody does that where you like pull the references that are similar, like uh, Batman year one or, you know, Frank mm -hmm. Miller stuff or, you know, um, and I'm still kind of spongy like that. Um, but yeah, it was Joe mad. Um, yeah. I, I like all the uh, age of apocalypse stuff. Yeah. Which he was fun. Uh, he, he was so good at, uh, I, I'm sure a lot of it was that Japanese animation, but his sense of motion and his sense of, of uh, a personality and how characters moved and how they stood and their posture. Yeah. I mean, he was really good was, at conveying that stuff. It was definitely like a departure from the usual comics. And I saw it when he was on the X-Men stuff and it's just like wacky and like breaking the rules and then sometimes like doing it bad, you know, but like <laughs> trying new stuff at least was cool. And I could always tell his art, like, you know like from somebody else's which is what i was looking for in an artist like i was looking for somebody who didn't look like exactly like other people but they looked similar enough like i think he was very influenced by jim lee and all those image guys too but yeah. then he went in like a very different way with it um well jim lee it was influencing everybody like jim lee i love his work he was one of my first it was him strangely it was him and eric larson because eric larson was doing spider-man when i started reading spider-man 
Mm-hmm. And so it was those two that really were at the forefront for me. And Jim Lee is always like, I hate making this reference because a lot of people don't like him, but I feel like he's the Michael Bay of, of comic book yeah. illustrators because his work always just was so epic and so huge. And he was always breaking right. the borders and breaking the restrictions of stuff. And he mm-hmm. really influenced so much stuff, you know? It was crazy. They were making, like, they were taking all those risks and setting the bar for what you are and aren't allowed to do and stuff. And I can't tell you how many portfolio reviews were just like, don't break borders. Don't do this. Don't do this. And you're like, the top guys right now are doing it. And then <laughs> now I realized, like, how to do it right and how to do it wrong. And that's not to say I was always doing it wrong, but I think that as a blanket rule, like Marvel and them are like, to new artists, like stop doing that stuff. Like you got to learn how to tell a story first before yeah. you can get, you know, image, image it out, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it's also a product of the nineties. Like the weirder those comics are like the more fun for me now. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, and, totally. Dude. I still have them all. Like that whole run of like, even, um, Brett Booth stuff he was doing backlash and all those different books. I love those illustrations. And just, I remember that day. I remember when Image started, and suddenly they're printing on glossy paper. Suddenly the right. the colors are just so much more vibrant. It was like that Wildcats cover from him on the shelf, and it was like, what the fuck is this? You know? I think I was too young for that, like to be there the day of and remember it and all that. Um, I was I was born in '86. Okay, all right. I'm seventy. So, I'm seventy-eight. But, I'm a bit older. Yeah, um, but. Man, I, I like watch the image documentary and stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, what a time to be alive. <laughs> like, Easy E was there, what? And then, uh, <laughs> uh, and I just hope there's that's all they always end all those documentaries and stuff with like, but it could never happen again. Yeah. There will never be a moment like this. And I think that there are. And I think stuff's going down. This New York Comic Con, because of COVID and, um, whatever like marvel pulled out dc pulled out dark horse pulled out idw like they just weren't there and all my buddies had the biggest publishing booths and i was like Whoa. let's hold on i was like let's hold on to these like this is a sea change where it's like what we've been trying to say is uh there's a lot of other creators under what like diamond distributors deems worthy to sell you you know what i mean like mm-hmm. like even me on last ronin now like this huge turtle book I would have trouble convincing diamond to like, let me run a book through their thing. You know, it's that's stupid. There's so many people from like me all the way back that have these awesome stories and, and they're all out there. And so I don't know, I think it's going to blow up the whole, the whole do it yourself thing is already blown up as I'm sure, you know, like thanks to Kickstarter and the internet and Instagram and yeah. And so it's happening a lot with comics right now, which is cool. Uh, which is interesting. I don't know that much about the publishing. I don't know much that um, about the uh, distributor and Diamond and all that stuff. Are they okay. like huge gatekeepers at that point? Is that what the deal is? Um, Diamond is like a running monopoly, is and has been for a long time. It's like 99.9% of comic book distribution. And they'll, and it's not until recently, I think DC, it's DC maybe, maybe DC and Marvel dropped them. Because what they did when COVID happened, and this has affected shops around the entire world, is all of a sudden Diamond just goes, okay, we're done. We're not coming to work. And the entire comic industry was lights out. And it's like, how could you put yourself in a position to let something like that happen? Like, it's so stupid to me. And so now there's all these, you know, smaller distributors, but even more importantly, like just direct sales, buy from the creators you like, self-publish, like, I don't know. Um, it's just like, what did you think was going to happen? And then as much as I want there to be a bajillion comic stores on earth, 
it was like comic stores crying out for help and like, and it was creators sending free books and doing all this stuff. And then it's like, but what about the creators too? <laughs> like, like what about <laughs> us? Like if we're not drawing anything, you have nothing to, right. to print and put out. And, and, it, and it was just like all these like dozens and dozens and maybe hundreds of shops who just like are not ready for the future, not ready to have a website where people can simply order comics through their website and get them shipped. Like it's like times are changing. It's not just your long boxes in mm -hmm. your basement and you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm probably being super offensive to a lot of people, but I just think like people need to think outside the box now, like with everything they're doing and especially in comics, cause diamond shouldn't be able to do stuff like that. Well, these days, I, I mean, I, this is why I'm excited to have you on the show. I mean, I reached out to you through Instagram. There's something really great about having direct contact to artists now and having mm -hmm. the ability, like I'd rather buy books from the artist personally. I'd rather just be like, I know that this is being shipped by this artist. I know this is coming from that person. Um, yeah. Because it, I, I know what a hard hustle it is for you guys to do that. Like to get, I, I've had, a, I've talked to a lot of other comic book artists and friends with like Ben Templesmith, a lot of different dudes. And we've talked about the business of comic book art and how, um, you know, you get paid per page or at one point it was paid pay per page. I don't know if it's still the same thing, right? Yeah. Some deals, some deals, others are in my opinion, worse where it's an advance against royalties, the same as you would as like an author of a novel or something. Oh. And so at that point you're just like, so I'm just giving you this stuff like for free. I'm doing all this labor and doing you a favor so you can put out a book and I can make money in a few years after all those quarters add up to my band. Like oh. I hate that. Cause with comics it's labor, right? It's like, yeah, you're dropping that page for 12 to 16 hours. There's no way around it. So it's like, who's paying for that. And so it kind of has to be a page rate. And then you think about, even your normal size comic is 22 pages. So like a decent page rate, if you're going to do a page a day, like that crap adds up fast. So it's, it's nuts that the comics are even still being made, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, that publishers can confront that stuff. And I'm, I'm dealing with that now, like on my, uh, small self-publishing with uh, my company, split decision comics. And, and you just do the math on like, Oh, I would really love to, hire this creator to do this 250 page book. And then they're like, well, I need 200 pages or 200 bucks a page. And you're like, Oh my God. Yeah. There's yeah. no way this is ever getting made. You know, we yeah. have to figure this out. Yeah. So. No, it's fascinating it's when you start to break it down in numbers like that. And then I was yeah. also interested when you start to look at styles in comics and drawing styles, like I, you know, being a kid that, did come up with the image time period and you have like these amazing covers and then you'd, I, I used to hate getting into books where the artist would only stick around for the book for like 10 issues, 12 issues. And then they'd replace them with someone that was faster and more efficient. And I was just like, what the yeah. fuck? And then when I talked to the artist, I realized, yeah, part of the deal for a lot of the artists is they have to figure out a way to draw well, but also draw fast. Um, yeah, it's, a, uh, it's a balance of both. I think, I've been saying it a long time, so I hope it's a real quote, but I think Jack Kirby said something like, you're ready when you can do a page a day. Yeah. Um, Cause it's a balance of, of speed and, you know, being good at it. And I feel like only recently I'm like right where I want to be with that. And it's magical. Like I'll just come into the studio and I'll go, okay, I have a cover 
do. Uh, I need today for the rough and tomorrow for the final. And then it'll be colored the next day. Ah, yeah, I need three days. And like, I can just say exactly <laughs> what it's going to take and it will just happen. Like today, even I left early for this podcast and somehow I finished like a couple hours early and I was like, all right, let's roll. <laughs> like your brain just knows like when you can just relax and you go, I know how to do this. I've been doing this for 35 years and you're just like, let's just get it done. Not stress about it. This is what we want to be doing. Uh, and that's what I found is like the secret to, I don't know, getting it done fast and good. Um, but yeah, those would be like fill-in artists. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, I, I remember being asked like, "Well, we, we might be able to use you as a fill-in artist." So it's like, "I'm going to be the guy who comes in for three pages that everybody hates." <laughs> like, <laughs> you mess it up. <laughs> well, dude, you you kind of see that in, in in television these days. You kind of see that with series where like you're sold on a series. Where it's like David Fincher is doing this this series, and you're like, "Fuck yeah!" And it's like first two episodes directed by David Fincher, episode four. Who's this guy? <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, "Ah, damn it! This is the same for Gun Hire that did all these other TV shows." Oh god, you, damn it! You probably noticed that like all the time. That's like me noticing, "Oh, it's a different cover guy than the insides." Um, but I did notice it on Stranger Things, like season one. I was like, "This is perfect!" Like the first couple episodes. Yep, it felt old. Yep. And then something got modernized and it didn't feel old anymore. Yeah. And it was, I don't know. Dude, but I big, big, two. big time on like the Ash versus Evil Dead series where like the first two episodes were Sam Raimi and all of Sam Raimi's, one of the reasons I love him as a director is that he's almost a comic book artist. The way he uh, composes um, his shots and the way he like captures his action and you watch those two episodes, you're like, fuck yes, I'll watch a whole series from Sam Raimi. And then it was like episode three and I'm like, this guy's pretending to be Sam. It was comic book shit all over again for me, where I'm like, God damn it, they replaced the artist. Not again. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's take a break. Let's crank through some of our ad reads some of our sponsors for the show and as we get into january expect to hear some exciting new sponsors i have a couple of new really amazing sponsors people that have come on to really support the show um and uh at the level of our boys that have been here since the beginning our friends over at puget systems now uh i talk about puget systems on every episode i've been a huge fan of these guys for so long and a lot of you guys and girls out there have been buying their systems through our show. If you bought a Puget, send me an email. Send me an email over to levelthaprocess at gmail.com and title it Puget Customer and tell me what you think. I'd love to read some of your stuff during these ad reads. I'd love to read uh, what you think of your Puget system. I'd love to hear what kind of monster you bought and you built. And if you're someone that is listening to the show and you got some Christmas cash, if you got an idea for a Christmas present, you want to tell your family about it, like, hey, look, my gaming system sucks, okay? I want to be able to play, it's not popular anymore, but you should, I want to be able to play that cyberpunk game, and I need a good PC for it. So can you do me a favor and go over to PugetSystems.com and buy me a PC that'll run that perfectly, like Mike's PC did. Like Mike got lost in that cyberpunk game for over three fucking weeks. Oh my God, I loved it so much. It was so much fun. I wish that game would continue and go on and that universe would go on. The lighting in that game, everything about that game, the aesthetics. I know that they failed on the fucking, 
the release of it on the consoles, but fuck the consoles. All right? Buy yourself a Puget system and play it on that. And if you're someone that is in the business, maybe you're illustrating. I use my Puget system with my Wacom to do all my storyboard work. I love it. Um, head on over to Puget Systems. Buy a system based upon the software you're using. Are you using Photoshop? Are you using Premiere? Are you using Resolve? Do, uh, are you using uh, Lightroom for your photos? Every program requires a subtle difference in hardware. And these guys know it all because they've been benchmark testing all the hardware in the market. So if you want a specific system for a specific piece of hardware, these guys know how to tweak it perfectly for you. All right? They don't manufacture their own gear so they're not peddling off their shit on you they're actually going through the process of sorting through all the different options on the internet and finding the best thing that works for you i'm telling you this should be the way everybody buys computers head on over to pewdiesystems.com and have a change to the way you buy your computer also supporting the show are our friends over at etc uh, do you guys know what etc is a lot of us in the film industry have been using the iconic Source 4 profiles on set. So Source 4 profile, I've talked about in other shows, it's those amazing spotlights. I love their, their Source 4 lights. I use them on Gina's shoots, I use them on my shoots. You can actually put different lenses on these lights and create different sized spotlights. You can have hard edges on those spotlights, you can have soft edges on those spotlights, you can put cookies into them, you can do patterns. They're fucking great. I've always loved these. Um, ETC is the maker of the Source 4. They have also been working hard in recent years to give us incredible new fixtures specifically for use with cameras. I just got my hands on their FOS slash 4 Fresnel and one of the most eye-catching eye specs of this, <laughs> one of the most eye-catching aspects, Jesus, of this line of fixture is the color mix. Their Luster X8 array includes deep red emitters, which not only open more color mixing options than you'd get with a traditional four color studio fixture, but also lead to richer, more natural beams of light at any point, uh, at any color point that uh, you use. Wow, it's hard for me to get to this one. Once you see these fixtures on the skin tones for yourself, you'll be truly surprised at how much impact deep red makes on any situation on set. If you're not familiar with ETC, all of their fixtures are backed by 24 seven customer support. See the FOS slash for panel and for now for yourself by visiting etcconnect.com backslash love the process that is etcconnect.com backslash backslash love the process Whew, my mouth is not working today just click the link in the description of this episode click it anyways uh whenever you listen to a show and they have like the name like backslash the name it's a traceable link so click the link have it go through let the sponsors know you're listening okay thank you uh, let's see. Uh, also supporting the show are our friends over at Black Magic. You guys know I bought the Black Magic uh, Pocket Cinema 6K Pro camera. I love it. Changes the way I shoot things. I shoot it all raw. I shoot 6K raw. I import it into my uh, editing system. I use my edit system on Puget Systems and I'm running 24 tracks of fucking 6K video easily on my project. It's incredible. It's incredible. However they uh, compress their raw files, they run seamlessly. And then I have access to uh, changing the color, dialing in the exposure, anything I want to do in my timeline, which is amazing. Blackmagic not only makes amazing cameras, they also make DaVinci Resolve. Uh, they're pushing that real hard to be an edit system, but everybody knows it is a color system. 
Uh, all the pros use that. I've been to like huge color correction facilities, Company 6, all these different places to have my films done and they're all on Resolve. You can get Resolve in your place. You can actually get your hands on those color consoles to make it all simple. You have a console on your desk. You can create your own color suite. If you're gonna do so, here's the best part about my sponsors. They all work together. So buy yourself a Puget system, build yourself a Resolve system, right? Black Magic. Head on over to Black Magic's website. The uh, URL is in the description of this episode. Check out all the new stuff. I know you guys are gonna have Christmas cash soon, holiday cash. I know you guys are gonna wanna be changing it up for the new year. Like I wanna pursue my career, I wanna push my new goals. I need a system to do so. Head on over to Black Magic and check it out. If you're a longtime listener of the show and you've wanted to help out, if you wanted to donate but you don't have enough cash, one of the easiest ways to do so is to participate in one of our affiliate programs. And uh, for those of you who don't know how that works, essentially, if you sign up for one of these free trials, if you try out one of these products, we get cash. It's super simple. And oftentimes it doesn't cost you a dime, especially if you're just signing up for a free trial. So one of the options that we have for you guys is by signing up for a free trial at Audible. You can get a 30-day free trial at Audible if you sign up using the promo code. Hold on, I'll get it for you. It is audibletrial.com backslash ILWP. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, self-development. Every month, members get one credit to pick any title plus two Audible originals from a monthly selection and get access to daily news from the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, as well as guided meditation programs that'll help you kick off uh, 2020. Don't kick it off, we're already in it. It's ad read. We're focusing on getting you plenty of content that can help your audience pursue their goals, whether it's getting fit, finishing more books, or becoming a better parent, leader, or person. Uh, here's some really great stuff about Audible. You can download titles and listen offline, anytime, anywhere. This means if you don't have internet access, you can have it downloaded on your phone. When I ride my bike, I ride in an area that has really shitty internet access, so I download my stuff so I can listen to it. Uh, the app is free, it can be installed on all smartphones and tablets, and you can listen across your devices without losing your spot. If you can't decide what to listen to, don't worry, you can hold on to your credits for up to a year and use them to binge a whole series if you'd like. Uh, I love Audible. I've been using it for over a year now. This is how I'm uh, getting through a lot of these books because uh, as you know, I try to read a book and I fall asleep. So uh, I find that when I'm riding my bikes and I'm trying to stay healthy, keep that cholesterol down, I am listening to Audible. And a lot of the folks that we've had on the show, uh, whether it's uh, the sleeping study books or if it's books on acting, all that stuff can be found on Audible. So if you're listening to any of this stuff and you want to listen to it, be sure to use our promo code because it will help us make a little bit of cash and you'll be able to listen and check out the stuff that you like. Uh, be sure if you've done this before with some other podcast, it won't work again. So if you haven't signed up for Audible yet, sign up for a free trial using uh, the link audibletrial.com backslash ILWP. You will find it embedded in the description of this episode. All right. Let's get back to the show.
Well, what's your process these days? Because you've been doing yeah. this since fucking you were 11. So, um, yeah. and are you, so you're working off of scripts, right? For like the last um, Ronin, right? You weren't yeah. writing that. That was, that was written by Eastman, right? Right. Yeah. So um, maybe for newcomers who don't know what that is, it's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle book. Um, and it's kind of a big, big book. It's the first time Kevin and Pete, who are the co-creators, are back together um, kind of on the same book as far as their names on the title. Because this particular story, The Last Ronin, um, was, you know, typed out on that paper with the holes on the side, whatever that's called, <laughs> uh, way back in 87 when I was one years old um, oh, by Pete. No and shit. it was this this story idea. They had already said like, and you hear interviews and stuff with the turtle guys and they're like, we didn't know it was going to be big. It was just a joke, right? Um, mm -hmm. They literally, this is one year later and they thought it was such a joke that they were already planning like what the last story would be. And this was supposed to be the last story that they did together for turtles. And so like all these, then turtles took off. So of course they weren't going to do the last story. <laughs> and so, so then, um, uh, however long ago, Kevin, um, was talking to IDW, who's the current publisher of turtles, um, and happens to now have the, the, the record for most consecutive issues over a hundred issues. Um, I mm -hmm. think the old record by the original dudes, Kevin and Pete and Mirage, um, was 75, I think issues mm -hmm. and uh so they broke that idw has been kicking butt and kevin was like hey we've got this story idea what do you think it's called the last ronin and so it's a future story where only one of the turtles is still alive and then throughout the five issues where um his plot is moving forward to get revenge on uh shredder's grandson hiroto mm -hmm. um you get to see in those issues those five issues within flashbacks what happened to everybody else and I am lucky enough as a, as a child of turtles uh, to <laughs> now be the one who's literally killing my heroes. <laughs> and so it's like an amazing, amazing dream job. There's a lot of weight. Uh, there's a lot of uh, like, I take it so damn seriously. The stuff I was drawing today, like I sent the rough to someone and I was like, it's biblical. Like, I just love it. <laughs> like, uh, but uh, yeah. So that's the recap on Ronan. Now, Ronan is a script. Yeah. Uh, it's written okay. by, um, so it's Kevin. So now Pete has kind of like stopped working on it. Um, and it was his, his concept, his um, treatment. And then Kevin has taken it and put his spin on it. And together with Tom Waltz, who wrote all 100 issues of the IDW Turtles, mm -hmm. they've turned into script um, for the last Ronan. And, and I share the art duties with um, two brothers, um, out of Mexico, the Escorza brothers, and they draw all the Ronin stuff. So all the modern day or future day stuff. Um, and then I do all the flashbacks again where I kill my heroes. But um, <laughs> so I'll get the scripts um, on this book. It's a little different than what I typically do. I do have my own stuff. Like I said, my own creator stuff that I write. Um, and with those, my scripts look a little different because it's just more bullet points um, and dialogue. Uh, and it's more free, but with Kevin's he's, uh, with Kevin and Tom's, they've got it, you know, it's just like a play script. It says panel one, here's what happens. Um, here's what's said panel two, here's what happens. Here's what's said kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but Kevin also for this entire series is doing layouts for every single page. Um, so that's pretty cool. And I don't know if you've ever seen Kevin Eastman's layouts, but they're like, they're super crude is the wrong word, but they're just like, it's just 
everything you need to know as far as figure placement and like directionality and composition, but it's like, so very Kevin Eastman, which is like, so very, not the way I draw or like anyone that I can even name. It's such, again, it's such a unique style. Uh -huh. And so it's, it's like a real, um, fun kind of process to go, okay, this is what he wanted. You know, he, this wraps over here, foot soldiers over here. He's coming down with a flying knee jump kick or whatever. And then looking at the anatomy and going, that's not how I draw anatomy. Like, that's not how I draw turtles. Like the hands are the same size as the head. And like, and everyone who draws turtles draws turtles differently. And Kevin's done layouts for other people as well. Uh -huh. And so it's really like this fascinating process to take his and try and leave as much as uh, of what he must have wanted from it in it, but also make it my own and also just make it good. Like yeah. whether it's mine or his, like it needs to be freaking good. And, uh, and I've, I've, I don't know. I've leveled up just with Ronan recently because of this kind of working method, which is really cool. Um, oh, I'm having so much fun. Yeah. yeah, that's wild, man. That's wild. Yeah. I never thought that would be the process because someone's essentially doing like the start for it, and then you're trying right. to you're trying to figure it out at that point. Yeah, and I mean, in most comics, in, at least back in the day, now that everybody's doing it yourself, um, you know, like I don't have an inker or anything like that. But back in the day, it would be, you know. A, a penciler, an inker, a letter, a colorist. And so it's not as if Kevin's even doing pencils because they're not meant to be just like refined. They're meant to, he's like, he's storyboarding essentially, but he's also every single one of those panels is its own strangely shaped storyboard because he, what he wants to convey to me is the character placement, the distance of the camera, the angle, you know, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there's, been few times where I'm like, Hey, what about this? And he's like, Oh, fucking brilliant. Like I've never had any notes from Kevin. We do another book together um, called drawing blood, which is like the fictional true story of how the turtles were created. But instead of Kevin Eastman, it's this guy, Shane Bookman. And instead of Peter Laird, he creates with his brother, Paul, the radically rearranged Ronan ragdolls who are samurai cats named after <laughs> famous anime directors, Miyazaki, Tezuka and Otomo. <laughs> and so so like on that book, we're, we're deep into volume two and I've, and there's never notes. He's just like, Oh my God. Oh my, it's brilliant. Like, and he's just such a nice, awesome guy. The only note I had on Ronan was he wanted me because this was like a, a Mirage story. Mirage was the company he had with Pete way back in the day. Yeah. They used to draw the turtle heads like very, very wide. And like nowadays they're almost a little thinner, more gumball kind of thing. And so like the very first page I drew, which is my only page in issue one, page 39, uh, I got one like photocopy note back and he had just done two Sharpie lines around one of my turtles to make the head wider. And I was like, oh, I'm framing them all. But that was the only note I've ever got from Kevin was to draw them more like they did in the eighties. <laughs> That's super rad, man. What a cool thing. What a cool, what a cool position to be in because at yeah. that, at that point you're, you're, not only developing your own style and taking someone else's work, but having someone who's legendary for creating these books to actually yeah. give you, give feedback on your work and, and push yeah. you even further, man. That's fucking awesome, dude. No, it's crazy. I got back from San Diego just like last week and I was just talking to my wife and I was like, man, people must think I'm so damn lucky. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's been awesome. It's been an awesome couple of years. Yeah. Um, so have you been working with any other, you've been doing stuff for Savage Dragon, right? Have you worked I with did. with Larson? Yeah. Yeah. So that was like, it's a funny, like coincidence the night. Um, so it was like a heroes con in Charlotte, North Carolina. I was having a mediocre show. It was like a while, while back. And 
and I had done one turtle cover and I told you I was chasing turtle covers for eight years and then like it took forever. <laughs> so I got one and everybody at the show was like, when's the next one? When's the next? And I'm like, I don't know. They don't care. They don't want me. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and like, and, uh, and so then later at the bar, I like at the hotel bar where everyone goes to uh -huh. hang back, uh -huh. um, Paul Larson and our mutual friend, Frank Fosco, who used to do the image turtles, uh, had been trying to connect us on Facebook. Like, Eric, you got to work with Ben. Eric, you got to work like tagging Eric in my photos, like which is such a don't move. Like, don't do that. Like, he's gonna hate that. <laughs> and, and so, so I I went over to talk to Eric Larson <laughs> at Heroes Con, and I was like, Hey, I'm Frank Bosco's friend. He he's been uh, tagging you in all my photos, and I'd really love to draw some Savage Dragon. And uh -huh. if you ever got a backup, and he like just didn't look up, didn't care. Like he was probably busy, and it's not the time to do whatever. And it was totally like I don't think any. I have no grievances. Like I get it. And, uh, and I was like, ah, whatever. I'll try again next year or whatever. And, uh, I was drinking with my friends and then my phone buzzed and it was like, Hey, I was an email and it was like, uh, Hey Ben, Kevin Eastman here. Uh, I saw your creator owned book, the aggregate. And he's like, it was fucking awesome. He said, what are you doing for the next year? Do you want to do a book together? So like that very same night, wow. uh, those things came together. And then later I got back in touch with Eric and I'm like, or no, he emailed me and he goes, I heard a dirty rumor you want to do a Savage Dragon backup. So I think Frank Fosco kept bugging him for me. Um, and full circle to what I hinted at uh, there in the beginning, I took one of my characters from 1997's Splash, uh, this character named Switchblade, uh -huh. uh, who's he just looks like a really buff Spider-Man, but his hands can turn into anything. Um that's why he's called Switchblade. Uh, Eric put him in Savage Dragon, and he ends up getting to kill a future Savage Dragon. And I got to design a future Savage Dragon. So, like, Larson goes, uh, "These, uh, he's like, these backups are kind of a wish fulfillment thing. So, what do you want to draw?" <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, cool. This is the best job ever." And so I said, "Well, I've got this character because I knew I wanted to like canonize one of my old." Um, baby characters and yeah uh, i said got this character and he's all inspired by you guys in the 90s and all the image crap i said we gotta get him in there and i said i really love cities and future stuff but i don't like having to look up reference so i don't want to draw a specific building or the grand central station <laughs> i said let's make like a future city like mobius kind of stuff and then I said, I also love redesigns. So if there's room for an evil savage dragon, I'd love to put a gray beard on him. <laughs> and I gave him an eye patch and all that. And uh, it was awesome. We did, it was issue uh, 233. Um, and it was a wish fulfillment. It was kind of like a dream come true for my 11-year-old self. And I couldn't yeah. wait to uh, tell my parents to go pick it up. And it just so happened. It was a very controversial savage dragon cover on the flip side. Uh, he had drawn Savage Dragon with um, his wife Maxine on on his shoulder, and she had shaving cream in her crotch area, and he had shaving cream all over his face, <laughs> and she had a shirt on that said like "Bald is beautiful" or something. Or, or there's an alternate version that was said, and excuse me, but it said uh, "Shaving is for pussies." <laughs> it's like, like telling my family to go pick. Ah, finally, in Savage Dragon, this character I made when I was 11 years old, and I'm like, here's the cover. For this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I used to love the old Savage Dragons book. My my younger brother was such a fan of those books. Yeah. Uh, and we, we read the hell out of him. And I was obviously in love with Larson because he was really doing my favorite Spider-Man. I mean, he was right after McFarland 
was mm-hmm. doing it. And uh, I loved his Mary Jane. I loved all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. Fucking yeah, cool. They were, they were bending all the rules and making up cool stuff. And the more 90s, the better. It got so weird. And yeah. and I liked that about Sa- uh, Savage Dragon and Eric Larson was like he even like Savage Dragon was a character he created when he was around 11 years old. And, and he's redrawn those comics from when he was a kid. And he's he's shown those drawings. And so I was like, oh, this is like this is a great opportunity for me to like kind of pay homage to Savage Dragon and Eric and, and also myself. And um, I don't know. It was fun. I love that. Like time is a flat circle. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> there's so many weird connections. I didn't even tell you that like Kevin Eastman, his, one of his first jobs was at the mill where my studio is. And I had no idea. Really? And Steve Levine, one of his best friends, one of the original turtle guys who, uh, Michelangelo is based on Steve. He lives in Wells, Maine. He came to the studio one night for wing night and he was like, Oh yeah, Kevin used to work here. And I was like, what? Like he never told me that. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He used to work here. And I was like, uh, okay. So I checked with Kevin and he goes, Oh yeah, my parents met there. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, so I love that kind of stuff. Like that, where it just comes back around and, and like, it's just like, I don't know. It's meant to be. Yeah, man, it's weird. It's weird how small the planet can feel sometimes. You know, yeah. when you're you're hanging out with someone that's like, I grew up on your street. You're like, what the fuck? Yeah. yeah it's, it's really strange. Um, one of the things that I find fascinating about uh, comic book illustrators is that, and I, I, I told the, the this story uh, in the intro of the show because I've already recorded the intro. And... Mm-hmm. I was at a comic con cause I was selling, uh, I did a bunch of like grindhouse DVDs and I had a bunch of art stuff years ago. So I was, I had a table and I was selling stuff and it's funny how you said everybody hangs out at the bar. Cause I, I did the same thing. I went down and I hung out at the bar at the hotel and I'm sitting there and all these folks are, are piling in. And I remember seeing this guy sit across from me at the bar and I knew immediately I looked across and I went, that's Simon Beasley. And I said that yeah. because he looked like his characters, <laughs> Yeah, you know, like his face looks like his characters. And it's so yeah. interesting to me, the amount of the artist that goes into the illustrations. Um, uh-huh. And that being said, what do you think you put into your illustrations that comes from you? I don't know. I mean, do you see that? I see that in other artists. So I, I, totally know what you're talking about. One of my very favorite artists is uh, Olivier Coipel, who did uh, House of M for Marvel, a lot of Thor stuff. He's basically responsible for the chain mail arms you see in the MCU on Thor. Oh, like, yeah. That was his idea. Um, but the stuff he draws is so rounded and soft. And, and then he's like on Instagram and he's at the beach. And I'm like, man, he's so rounded and soft. And, like, and it's just like, <laughs> that's you. And, uh, and so I wonder if people see anything else like similar about me it's, yeah, it's they're, cool, just, they're like you know your turtle shell in real life looks exactly yeah. like <laughs> yeah maybe once you see more humans out of me for a bit uh but um yeah i don't know i remember when i came up with certain things like and and was just like oh and it was again like a big change like i used to draw noses and this is like when i was 11 like i would do a straight line down and then basically like a lowercase n mm-hmm. like right in the middle of it. i have no idea like why i thought that was it and then one day I was watching Mission Impossible 2 with Tom Cruise, who has the best nose ever. And I was just like, that's how you draw noses. And and now, like, even still, when I watch movies, and maybe it's like a product of like a wandering mind, but I'll just trace, like, with my mind, like, uh, the jawline, the jawline, the jawline. And then they'll switch to the other person and I'll be like, oh, their jawline. They're... Like, and these are the things like running through my mind. I'm just like analyzing those shapes and whatnot. 
um, and bringing cool. that back, like figuring out the tubes in the neck or I just, I'm always thinking about that crap. I don't know. That's my mind won't stop. But as far as like what I bring to it, like similarly to the example you gave with Bisley, um, I think I'm trying, I, I think I really get lost in it. So like what you, I'm hoping what happens to you when you look at it is similar to what happens to me as I'm drawing it, at least lately. Um, I found a way that I think is a nice balance of detail by not, you know, detailing everything. So it's all muddled, but like giving yeah. you the places to disappear into or to like really analyze or look for Easter eggs or, and I have a lot of fun with that. Like it's my goal to uh, maybe if you don't spend a lot of time on the page on your first read through, cause I think you should read it at a certain pace that it's meant to be spoken at. That's why it's mm -hmm. so many panels or whatever, but that's a fast pace. So it's my goal to make you want to look back and then just like pine into those like panels. Um, yeah. And, and so now like, like I'm doing that with other people, like I've started buying stuff digitally just so I can have like the most high resolution and like, look at it yeah. Um, yeah. on comicsology and stuff. And so, so I guess I'm trying to give you a similar experience and like make you value it the same for the same reasons I do. Um, mm -hmm. That's what I, into it, I guess it's a little bit more abstract than your question. I think no, but <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. I like. I've got a really strange way that I read. I guess it's not strange. I get a strange a way that I process comic books when I first buy them. I'll get a book and I'll like even before I leave the store. Or if I'm in the car, I'll just flip through it real quick. I'll just flip through the whole thing and yep. just. It's almost like a trailer for a movie where I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, fuck yeah, and somehow <laughs> somehow I forget about it all. And then I read it and then you go through the process of reading that book and you're getting all the dialogue and you're getting all the pacing and everything. And then I do a third pass on that book when I oh, then yeah. go back through and I look at those details. So it is much appreciated. That's probably why I really love that, that you, your work on those books because you're doing that, dude. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, it's the, it's the, uh, it's essentially the foundation of my entire uh, split decision comics company. Um, and so again, for people who, don't know me or comics. Uh, I have this book called The Aggregate, and it's the world's first split decision comic. Um, and essentially, uh, nobody had made a choose your own adventure style comic book before, and mm -hmm. nobody had done it well. And so I was like, again, I want to give people a reason to go back and read it again and read it differently. And oh, I saw something different there. I've got whole chapters in that book and whole threads that you can only get to if you cheat. Um, and <laughs> and those used to be in old choose your own adventures. Um, but you would never know because you flip through the book, like you said, like really quick and it's all text. But yeah. some people do that with the aggregate and, and they're like, what the hell are those like cool blue pages? And, and I can't get those. I've done this seven times. What the fuck? And then they do it. <laughs> and that thread is going to continue throughout all the books and all the volumes and stuff. So it's like, it's again, it's like a way to get people back into it, appreciate this, experience it differently, rereadability. Um, and also, it allows me, again, it's a selfish and it's an exact parallel. It allows me to put anything I want in that book. Is yeah. it, uh, what's he going to do here? Is he going to make a shield or is he going to make a sword? Is he going to run or is he going to, I can do literally any scene I want. Go, <laughs> I want to see what that looks like. I want to see what that looks like. And then I let them decide. You know what I mean? Oh, that's super cool, man. It's so free. It's so freeing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like do you get a, do you get to a point I, when I do movies and I do scenes and stuff, oftentimes there are these set pieces or they, like there are these specific shots. Like I'm, I've been doing it for about two weeks now. I've been heavily storyboarding out this movie I'm about to do. 
Yeah. And I I know when I sit down and I look at a scene or I read a script, I go, boom, here's here's the one shot that I fucking love. And this is the reason yeah. why I want to do it. And so I start there. And then a lot of my other boards uh, become like just laborious where I'm like, okay, this is coverage. This is coverage. This is coverage. Is it the same right. way for you? Are you working on like what uh, it is that you love first or? Uh, I hear what you're saying for sure. Um, I used to, I don't know if this really answers it. Uh, I used to, a uh, part of my process, which I think is super interesting, uh, is I print out all my roughs. So like if I'm like deep into the aggregate or something and like, 200 pages in I'll have 200 roughs like up on the wall and then I'll typically do the whole book in roughs and then go, okay, it's time to do finals. And it's kind of like the penciling inking thing I was talking about before. Yeah. And at that point I used to, and I don't know what I'll do now because I haven't been in a position like that where I've done all the roughs and then all the finals in a while because of Ronan. But I used to just pick the ones I was like, I'm going to knock out all the easy pages. And I would like do all the finals for all these things because it felt laborious. It was like, it wasn't that like showstopper of a moment that I had when I maybe initially did the rough. Right. Yeah. Um, when I'm doing finals, it's a lot more about craft um, than it is about like having big ideas. Cause it's all already there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I would do all the easy pages and then I'm left with what's left and I go, okay, what are the easy pages out of these? And I do that too. Um, but more to like the big keyframe moment thing. Um, mm -hmm. I, when I'm writing, I try to make that like a spotlight page for sure. And I think a good writer will as well, like a splash. But you also, I guess the opposite of that would be those talking heads pages or something. Yeah. So you always, you always want to try and make even those interesting somehow. Um, with the book uh, Drawing Blood we do is, is just a real dude like who's like upset a lot. Uh, he's at New York Comic Con sometimes, but he's mostly like on his cell phone, Shane Bookman. Uh, uh -huh. And he's like uh, in cars a lot. And so it is constantly a challenge to make those cool looking and and an exciting thing, you know. And and a lot of that, what I'm chasing is like the emotion in his face or yeah. the mood of the scene and things like that. Because you can see that in every film. It's the exact same stuff that you do. But like you can see that like, that's why it's interesting when you just have a camera on like Matthew McConaughey looking out a window, you know, yeah, like you're like, yeah. I know he's up to something like, or whatever. Uh, yeah. I, know, I, love, <laughs> I love that stuff. I could stretch out. That's also why I love my split decision freedom is I could stretch out scenes, man, and just let them be so slow and emotional. Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 And you can, you can sell some Lincolns or whatever that Matthew McConaughey is doing right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, it's weird. Okay. It's, this is like this strange little storm here because I am heavily influenced for my film stuff and for my compositions and my shots. I'm heavily influenced by comic books for that sort of thing. And are mm -hmm. you, are you heavily influenced by movies? Like, is that oh, what yeah. you, does your brain think in cinema or does your brain think in panels? I think my brain thinks as far as like what I've got to do in cinema and it processes time in panels and pages oh, because I think God. about time as in like, Oh, it's gotta be a page a day. And I, and I will get grumpy and like feel behind if I don't do that. And, and then like, and those are the, those are kind of like the hits of the day. You're like, I got to do this and it's got to look like this. So it's, I think it's both and it's always been both. And it's crazy. Like even when I was super young, and doing that Nathan the Caveman book. And when that book was done, I was 18 um, when I started it. And uh, and I, I then got like a job 
uh, I got hooked up with Jim Kruger, who did freaking Kingdom Come, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or no, he did, uh, yeah, he did something with Alex Ross. Oh, EarthX, I'm sorry. He did EarthX with Alex Ross. Oh, right, like right, a, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Right after that. And I was like, gee, oh my God, I'm working with freaking Jim Kruger. And and the, some of the first things he said, it was like some of the first times like a professional was really like gushing or looking at my art in a meaningful way. And, and all he talked about was how cinematic everything I was doing was. And I was like, that's what I've always wanted. And I don't <laughs> know why. But it just always made sense that way. Um, yeah, dude. I, I learned there's a term for it, I'm sure. But I learned that whole thing uh, a few years ago, and it changed everything. Where like when you're filming, I, I saw it in Lost, and I was like, "Damn, this is I've, I've seen this in everything." Where like Jack will be on the left, and Kate will be on the right, and then the camera flips, but uh-huh. Jack still has to be on the left, and Kate still has to be on the right, right? Yep. Like I think about it constantly every scene you want to always keep those characters where you remember them unless you're like right behind them and then give a good reason and and yada 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 but like that was like a huge game changer and that's straight out of watching lost (laughs) (laughs) yeah no they call that the 180 so it's there's that 180 line where if you're setting a 180 up with uh your wide shot so you have a character left right then even mm-hmm. when you're doing over the shoulders, the character's still left, right. It, it keeps the audience from having to shift their eyes. Yeah, it's, you know when it's wrong. And that's what yeah. I would see in comics all the time. I'd be like, oh, I don't know what it is. And even in my own stuff, I'm like, I don't know what it is. But then when you know it's right, it's just like second nature. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can, you can break that rule. And you, if mm-hmm. you break that rule, you're breaking that rule for emotional context. But you're just like, yeah. the, the world is turning upside down. Now we're, totally. we're shifting it, you know. But, but yeah, it's amazing because uh, like I'll have scenes in Drawing Blood for example, where uh, he's he's making in drawing blood, it's kind of like a nod to that Spider-Man musical that was a huge disaster. Um, <laughs> but Shane Bookman is doing like a radically rearranged running ragdolls. Um, uh, no, I'm sorry. He's he. There's a radically rearranged running ragdolls porno being made by his ex-wife. Um, <laughs> while at the same time, there's a uh, there's a live action movie, but they're making them aliens and using CGI, nothing like Michael Bay by a director called Morgan Harbor. And then there's the third element where Shane is actually putting on his own Broadway musical of the silent film Metropolis. And so it's a, it's a huge disaster, but there are scenes where they're auditioning people, for example, and, and it's him and, and um, two other characters and they're sitting in the seats of the theater. Uh-huh. And so when, when the when the camera is flipping, you know, on their faces to what they're seeing on their faces, what they're, like we have to make sure those balloons are in the right order, right? Like, there's no cheating the left right rule in that case. Like, there's you have to do it like from the side, or and so it's like this constant, um, like making sure the script knows what's actually happening in the scene too. Yeah, yeah. all other complication I find with writers sometimes, um, or when you just go to do the page and you're like. Yo, you can't do two actions in one panel. Like, what do you think? <laughs> I can't open and close that door in one panel. You're going to have to either cut it or do another panel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's so inter- That's so fucking fascinating. Uh, yeah. Because it, it really is about the form at that point. And understanding the form and understanding how the audience is processing it. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of similarities between comic books and cinema. But it's... Mm-hmm. And there's stuff that I wish I could do in movies that you can do in comic books, like the exaggeration right. of limbs, the exaggeration of uh, energy in a pose, in a position, 
I'm always mm-hmm. like hunting for the right lens to try to semi create the warping or something that's happening there. You can't do it too much or people think it's like a weird drug trip or something, but yeah, yeah. in comics, like when you want to get artsy, it's kind of okay. Like all of a sudden in the uh, big raft issue in last run in two, I had the moon just turn like this fluorescent blood red and it's like everyone's favorite panel. And I only did it because like the cover has a blood red moon mm-hmm. of issue one. It was like kind of this iconic thing I wanted to keep hammering in and like nobody cares. It's a comic. One of my favorite things is actually in that same issue. Um, Raph storms in the apartment and he's like, oh, the foot clan broke the truce. We're, we got to go get him. And, and Leo does this whole like, no, we're going to stay here, you know, and, and Raph does what he always does and storms off. And I had this panel idea where um, Kevin had said like we, he wanted Leo in like a trench coat, which I thought was super dope, uh, <laughs> like gunslinger trench coat. And <laughs> I had this thought like when they re- they go, hey, where's Raph? And I wanted all the furniture and like uh, the heater and every the table to essentially like wheel out like on wheels like if you're on a stage mm-hmm. and then the light just goes right onto leo and he casts this crazy shadow and all he says is damn and i always use that panel when i'm talking about it. i'm like i got so fucking artsy on that panel I'm like maybe someone doesn't notice but i'm always making sure the room is the same like all oh, that chair is in the same spot <laughs> you know, that's the and then all of a sudden i threw it out the window and i let them kind of roll off stage and the lights just focused on him so he could say damn and i was like i fucking love it like that's one of my favorite parts of that issue and i don't know how many people care (laughs) oh dude that is so cool though i mean what you're doing is you're playing with the visual language and i love that i fucking love that whether it's comic books or whether it's movies um it's the visual language and understanding the language of panels, understanding that, and then you playing with it, which I fucking more, love, you know? More and more as I'm, I mean, it's been the last few years, I guess, but I'm just like, this is art. It's gonna be my art. And I'm like, and I'm gonna, my art is comics. It might be this like product and this thing that's been so like mass produced and churned out. I said, but I'm just gonna let it be like the best I can do at that given time and not put it out until it's that. Like, not that I'm like redoing things over and over and over again. Like, I'm confident that like I can, I, I'll do it in a day. Like, that's my day. Like, and I, and I did my best work that day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't think I'm churning out crap. I don't think I'm like, oh, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. But it's like, this matters. And I'm, I want to be like the last one in a lot of cases to even touch the books, even on these turtle things. Like I'm so hands on. So is Kevin. Like we're just so annoying. <laughs> like we're just like, oh, we should you got to make that text different or that doesn't make sense. Like we're just so self-publishers, I guess, where you're just like, ah, it needs to be good. Like I, it can, it, these books for anyone who's paying attention have been very late. Um, and it's not on me, <laughs> but um, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, stuff in the beginning, the whole creative team uh, switcheroo. But, but what I said at San Diego uh, on our panel and I say all the time is like, I think Kevin said it to me and he was talking about Watchmen. I think Watchmen was really late um, every issue and he either said it or I said it, but it was like something um, is only going to be late once, but it could fucking suck forever. Like yeah, yeah. And you just need it. Like you definitely want to get it done. Don't get me wrong. Like don't be one of those people. But like if you're confident in yourself and you're just like, this is the time it needs, like give it the time it needs. Yeah. Well, you guys are doing, you guys are doing a really important book with The Last Run. And I feel like it's, 
it's one of those, I was surprised by it when I saw it in the comic book store. I'm like, what the fuck is it? And then I went through it. I'm like, oh my God, this is such an important time for this, for these characters, for these, for, for this story. And it totally is. Yeah. Yeah. I know. You guys are killing it on it. The book is fucking oh. phenomenal, man. Thanks. Well, I just, I geek out because I'm like at the perfect age for it. So it's like everything in the world to me. Cause I think that that's also why it's so important right now is like, there's guys around my age who like, this is like the perfect time to revisit their nostalgia for the turtles. If they've been away from it or like, Oh my God, like it, I saw it on Nickelodeon, but it wasn't really my thing, but this is how I used to like it. You know what I mean? Like they killed mm -hmm. shredder at the first issue of uh of the old <laughs> turtles and in this one like we're killing rap we're killing blah 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 i'm not gonna give everything away but like it's wild and um and so people we're taking it seriously people are taking it seriously kevin's got like so much on his mind that i don't even know like like he'll he'll tell me things that we did that i didn't even know we did <laughs> and vice versa uh he'll be like like Baxter Stockman's back, right? Uh, so uh, his, his people kind of griped about the Baxter Stockman issue. It was the only negative feedback I kind of read. Everything else has been great, but they didn't like that there was just like, I won't, I'm trying to be vague, but there was a giant explosion, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. And, um, and then Kevin was telling me like, oh yeah, I think it was issue two or something. That was his plan. He was like, I'm just going to blow them up. Like it, it was his plan in issue two <laughs> to just blow them up. And so he's like seen it to fruition now with the last road and that's so cool to me <laughs> like <laughs> that kevin is doing those things like literally for himself <laughs> like, <laughs> well it's dude it's great because you're right you're right you're tapping into that nostalgia right you're you're getting into that which everybody right now is just like attached mm -hmm. to nostalgia because it's a big thing and but you guys are also telling stories that are mature that that are the age range of those nostalgic fans where you you have characters dealing with loss you have characters dealing with like post-traumatic stress and all this other sort of stuff that's fascinating that yeah. i think uh, makes the it really sort of transcends that story and there's been lots and lots of comic books where it's like hey look we've we've read the dark knight we love let's make it darker let's just make the shit darker and mm -hmm. this book's just got a lot of like emotional grounding to it that I think separates it from those, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, and I hope that he will, but I don't know that Tom Waltz gets enough credit for some of that. I feel like some of that scripting and like when I was reading, I can't remember which issue it was either two or three, or it must've been three, but in the brothers scene. So in the future stuff with the Ronin, mm -hmm. April and, uh, and the Ronin were having this conversation about like survivor's guilt and stuff. And I was like, man, this is like so timely with yeah. COVID. Um, and um, Tom's actually a Marine. He's a veteran. And, and so I don't know how much of like that is in there, but like, I was like, man, they're going places even within this thing that it's not just a love letter to the dark Knight. It's not just fan service. It's not just like there's upward motion with this story that hopefully the new people it's grabbing and the old people who haven't touched turtles in a long time are going to be like, Oh, I want to see what they do next. Uh, yeah. That's kind of what I'm hoping for. Like, I just want turtles to keep blowing up. Well, dude, uh, the work is fantastic and uh, your work on it's really great. And your outlook on doing comic books, your story about how you started in this, it's just been a fucking pleasure to talk to you uh, on the show. 
Thanks. Yeah, well, I hope it was worth it. It was a long time coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, it was totally worth it. And uh, I, like the the parallels between the work that you do and the work that I do and the, the movie uh, business and that the only thing that you have the only thing that you have better off than I do is that you can actually sit down and just do it, <laughs> which I love. Man, I can't tell you how many times I'm like looking for reference of things like Grand Central Station or like, oh, I got to draw crowds. Like imagine if I could just go to Grand Central Station and turn my camera on. Like, <laughs> like I think about that constantly because there's nothing wrong with even when I'm building my pages, like, okay, where's my set? You know, I'm going to find all the references I need. This is my set. This is my location. Okay. Now I need my character models, whatever. Like it's the same process of like putting the cast and crew together yeah, um, yeah. and like filming it. But there's a lot of pros to what you do as opposed to the cons as well. <laughs> like, sure, we, sure. That's why they work so well together. Yeah, man. And hand in hand. The language is similar. So does it make sense now why I have comic book artists on the show, right? The commonality that we have with a visual language of storytelling. Uh, I have been influenced by comic books since I, I was a kid. Um, and Ben is influenced by movies. And I've talked with other artists and it's the same thing. I love it. I love it so much. And when I'm talking about the influence that comic books have on movies, I'm not talking about comic book movies. I'm talking about that obsession. He started to get into it where he was like focusing on jawlines and focusing on how noses look. It's the same thing in my world. It's the same thing with photography and lighting. Like what angle that light needs to be at. Just recreate what would be a simple... Uh, a quick white line in a comic book illustration. What is that angle? How does that angle perfectly? What is the positioning of that light to get that perfect angle to get that edge light? And I'm always examining these things. And I'm always thinking about it when I'm framing things up. And when it comes to photography and portrait photography and uh, silhouettes, the cuts of clothing, how the clothing holds, hugs a person, how it shapes them, shapes their silhouette. I love that stuff. That's one of the big reasons why I'm a huge fan of our sponsor ETC and using spotlights is that I can have a silhouette, but just throw a bit of an exposure right on someone's face, which in a comic book is so easy to draw, but it's such a difficult thing to do in the cinema on the screen. And when you're talking about The Last Ronin, I always think of Kurosawa. And when I look at a lot of his panels, I think of Kurosawa. And using that widescreen panel format, uh, it's really cool stuff. If you want to get super nerdy about uh, Ben's work, head on over to his website. Uh, that's bishart.net. That's B-I-S-H-A-R-T.net. Uh, follow bishart on Instagram. That's where I found him. That's where him and I have been talking. Um, and man, I'm just looking at some of his posts on Instagram here. Fucking amazing cover of uh, the Ronin jumping out of this glass window. Ugh, I love this stuff. This is what I do this business for, is compositions and, and, and telling an audience who a character is by a, a stance, by an outfit, by the way they hold themselves, 
I would just spend hours obsessing over this. As a kid, body posturing. How does Spider-Man pull himself off the floor? His costume's all torn apart. He had to like fall through the skylight in his bathroom. Mary Jane, his girlfriend, hears him crash to the floor and he pulls himself out of the door with broken fingers. It's, that kind of stuff just sticks with me. It's burned in my mind. The positioning of, of Wolverine on any Jim Lee spread or, or panel. The way he holds himself when he's dealing with stress, when he's dealing with anxiety. Body posturing. I fucking love that stuff. So, if you don't read comics, if you've never been a comic book person, but you work in this business, I suggest you do yourself a favor, head down to your local comic book shop. Pick your favorite. If you're out here in Los Angeles, there are so many of them. There are so many great places. Uh, there was a bunch of shops that I loved back in Boston on the East Coast. There's shops that I love in New York City. Anytime I go into a city and I have some free time, I always try to go into a local comic book shop. They are home to me. They are my personal little church for creativity. A place that I can go back and study these legends, study these stories, study the origins of these body posturing, study the origins of these larger-than-life archetypes. And that kind of stuff plays into my work, plays into my passion for my work. And it might inspire you. And it isn't all like big tough dudes with muscles holding guns and swords and karate chopping people. There's such a great movement in the comic book industry that uh, Image does a lot of it now where you're getting uh, books that are published from men, women, all sorts of different walks of life, all sorts of different designs. Um, but yes, I am a kid that grew up in the 90s. Yes, I am a kid that grew up with specific illustrations and stuff that I love. It's probably a big reason why I like a lot of Zack Snyder stuff. And I know some of you do and some of you don't, but I know that he is very influenced as far as his compositions are concerned by most of the artists that influenced me. The artists that I'm sure that Zack was just like I was, going into a comic book store wide-eyed and staring at those racks when Image came out. And just being like, holy shit. Somehow they took comic books and made them real, but they're still on paper? How did that happen? Man, it's such a great, great time for comic books. It was, it still is. I love it. So, like I said, support your local comic book store. Support your local comic book artist. Find the artist that you like. Find him or her on Instagram and support them buy work from them. Oftentimes, these artists are putting out their own books and selling their own books, putting out their own merch. Support these folks. It is hard fucking work drawing a page. It really is. And the hours that are spent, the life that disappears from you working on this stuff. Dude, he's fast. When I, I was just talking about my, uh, my storyboarding and it takes me to do a panel, like a detailed panel, and a lot of my panel is like smashed stuff. So like I may bring in resources like background resources and trace those, bring in like uh, an actor's face and sort of trace the elements of that. Um, but a panel for me takes generally about 45 minutes. And on most of my pages, I've got like six panels. So you do the math on, on how much time goes by for that stuff. 
but it's so fucking cool. It really is. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I uh, hope you guys uh, like it when I shift gears. We go into other artists. And if you're new to the show, if you showed up because you're a huge Last Ronin fan, you're a huge comic book fan, welcome to the show. Head on over to inlovewiththeprocess.com. There are a bunch of really great episodes up there with other comic book artists, with other folks that work in the comic book industry, uh, folks that are musicians that are influenced by the comic book industry. It's all there. So welcome, hang out. And if you love this show, steal my promo graphics. Find them on my Instagram account. Find them on the website. Steal them and repost them. Repost them and send your friends. If your friends are fans of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, send them to listen to this episode. I want to get more fans on the show because of this one. So thank you everybody for listening. And as always, I will see you next Tuesday. Just can't stay. I just can't stay.